All right, so tonight we're going to look at soteriology. And so where soteriology comes from, of course, it comes from a Greek word just like last week. You got two Greek words right here we're looking at. So the first one right here is soteria. Soteria, that's salvation, logos, as we looked at last week. Every time you look at a, some kind of a theology, it's going to be logos on the end of it, which means study or word, but also it goes so much deeper than that. Matter of fact, we could spend the whole hour on what logos really means to what the Greeks understood it to mean. And we were just kind of even kind of guessing at what they thought, but there's a whole bunch of stuff about Logos. So Ephesians chapter 2. So what I noticed last week is I noticed that a bunch of nerds were here. So I'm going to look at, we're going to look at the Greek text tonight. Ephesians 2.8, that's one of the main texts when it comes to salvation. So let's look at something here tonight. I want to show you this. So this is, let me just look to show you this. So uh, uh, listen to this. See if you can figure this out. Gar, charity. That Greek word right there, charity. What do y'all think that is? Anybody got any guesses? That is grace for grace. So grace is what always starts it off. So in the Greek text, you know, word order isn't like it is in English. Word order always tells you the value of the word in the sentence. So when we're talking about, for by grace you have been saved. So by grace, see, grace is what starts it off. And then through dia, pastoes, that's through faith. So faith is way back here in the sentence, grace is way up here in this sentence whenever we talk about salvation. we got to understand something, that we are saved by grace. We always say we're saved by grace through faith. But if you look at the text, that's technically where it comes down to right there. And this is not from, ook from yourselves, theol, tau, duron. What are you, God's gift right there. So that's what salvation is all about. It is a gift from God. It is grace. So Regeneration is what we're going to start off talking about tonight. So regeneration, what does it mean to be born again? And we're going right into Wayne Grudem's systematic theology tonight. So regeneration, here's what he says. It's a secret act of God. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. Tonight, it's going to be a lot more of the technical stuff. So we're going to read a lot of the, lot of the text tonight. So it's going to be kind of like you're reading the cliff notes with me of systematic theology. So regeneration is a secret act of God in which he imparts new spiritual life to us. So think about something being regenerated. When something's regenerating, you know, what's happening there? It's coming back. And I mean, it's, it's something, so anytime you're going to re, it's, it's coming back to where it was originally meant to be. So regeneration, that is a spiritual thing happening inside of you. So we're going to talk tonight about the order of salvation in regeneration and conversion. There's a lot of this that we don't ever really get down to the technical stuff of understanding salvation. So tonight you'll be here. You know, I mean, really, we should have all of our, all of our teachers that that teach students, they really need to be working, with, working through this to understand salvation. So when they lead someone to Jesus, they'll understand the theological aspect of this. So if you look at the top, this is kind of the heading of the text as always tonight as we go through this. So the exact nature of regeneration is mysterious to us. And let's look at John 3, 8 here. It says, Jesus talking to Nicodemus, he says, the wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. So tonight we're going to talk about a few things like effectual calling and the effectual call of God and the general gospel call of God, okay? So 
in those, let me just kind of lay the framework. I've heard hours and hours of argument about this right here. Sitting in Bible college, sitting around out there, listening to two young men argue. It happens all the time. Probably happened today in many Bible colleges and seminaries around the nation. So here we go. We want to start off with this. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 5. Matter of fact, if you read all of Ephesians chapter 1, if you're just going to do a verse-by-verse study, you cannot sidestep this truth right here about predestination. He says, for he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. So he, now the Greek word right here is proizoi. So a proizoi right here, what this means is to choose beforehand. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will. So the argument is this. So if God chose us, if God predestined us, then you know I mean? Is it just only some, these people are going to be saved? Nobody else is going to be saved? Do we have nothing? Should we, we shouldn't even pray then. Should we even do any kind of evangelism? Okay, so let me show you another verse because this is systematic theology. It's the system of theology all through the, the Bible. The Lord does not delay in his promise as some understand delay, but he is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. So the tension between the two. God wants everybody to be saved. So you hear me say this a lot when I'm preaching. You know, we want everybody to be healed. We pray for everybody to be healed, but not everybody's going to be healed. We pray for everybody to be saved. Not everybody's going to be saved. And we send the gospel call out to everybody. We don't know who's going to be saved, who's not going to be saved. That's up to God. And, you know, there is, see, there is a, for all of us, see, if you, it doesn't matter everybody that I've ever known. As, as deep as you want to go into predestination, here's what everybody agrees on. There's always a human responsibility. We always come back to that. So, I mean, like, so here's the thing, is that, in my opinion, look, when those, those, two, those two dudes that argue today, when you really get down to the foundation, they're both saying the same thing, but they're coming from two different directions. You ever, you ever heard anybody argue like that? You're saying, I mean, you're, you're both of y'all saying the same thing, you know, but you're just coming, you're just saying it in two different ways. And that's essentially what's happening there. So from our perspective, what do we do? Uh, we, we send the gospel call out. We pray for everybody to be saved. I mean, we just, we are, want everybody to. But then on the other side of that, we know that there's a work of God, and that's what we want to talk about to God. And see, this, tonight, this is special. This will help us fall deeper in love with God as we study this. This is my true heart in this. Regeneration is totally a work of God. So John 3, 3. So we're back to that discussion between Jesus and Nicodemus. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So let me ask you something. How much of a choice did you have in your physical birth? How much work did you put into that physical birth? So it's interesting that Jesus would use this kind of terminology whenever he talks about salvation. He talks about being born again, talks about being adopted into God's family. There's all kinds of terminology that Jesus uses to help us understand that, okay, just, you know, we're not even getting into this today, but what we call the, the eternal security of the believer. That, that I mean, that there's, there's, there's all this terminology, it's like you have in a family and being born and all that, that man, whenever we are in our, when we're in Christ Jesus, we are secure in that place in Christ Jesus. So, we, here's what we do, though. We do play an active role, we're going to look at this in just a minute, in conversion, okay, in sanctification, and in perseverance, okay? We'll look at those in just a minute. John 1, 12 through 13. 
but to all who did receive him. He gave them the right to be the children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born, not of natural descent. So here's what, here's what John's going to, here's what Jesus is showing us right here. Not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or the will of man. So these are all right here. All of this right here is all man's choosing and man's doing, but of God, the, of the will of God. See, so it's God that does the regenerating, okay? So tonight, to wants to understand that in regeneration, that when, when God is doing a regenerating work, it, isn't, it doesn't just stop at the point of salvation. Regeneration is happening right now for all of us that are in Christ Jesus. He is making us anew, okay? We'll, we'll even talk about that some more as we get down to our last week in sanctification. James 1, 18 says, by his own choice, once again, he gave us his choice. He gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So let's look at what Grudem says down here. Effective calling. So effective calling is thus God the Father speaking powerfully to us. And regeneration is God the Father and God the Holy Spirit working powerfully in us to make us alive. So the regenerating, see that's, we talk about born again, the theological term is regeneration. That is making something that was dead, that was dead spiritually, and now I'm alive spiritually. So here we go. Let's get into some of the technical stuff here tonight. So we talk about this irresistible grace. So there's so many people have tripped over this kind of terminology and been like, you know, once again, don't like that. But let's just look at what Grudem's got some great points here. He says the term irresistible grace. So I can't, so like God's grace is so irresistible, I can't refuse it. I can't, you know, it's like this salvation, this call is so strong, I can't refuse it. The term irresistible grace is subject to misunderstanding. However, since it seems to imply that people do not make a voluntary, willing choice in responding to the gospel, a wrong idea and a wrong understanding of the term irresistible grace the term does preserve something valuable, however, because it indicates that God's work reaches into our hearts to bring about a response that is absolutely certain, even though we respond voluntarily. And that's so important right there. Because some people look at that and they go, you know, I mean, I don't have a choice in this. I mean, God just grabbed me and said, you have to be saved. No, I said, we do have a voluntary choice in this. It is natural to understand that regeneration comes before saving faith. And this is where it gets kind of technical and kind of interesting to me anyway. So regeneration comes before saving faith. It is, in fact, this work of God that gives us the spiritual ability to respond to God in faith. However, when we say that it comes before saving faith, it is also important to remember that they usually come so close together that it will ordinarily seem to us that they are happening at the same time. As God addresses the effective call of the gospel to us, he regenerates us and we respond in faith and repentance to this call. So from our perspective, it is hard to tell any difference between the difference in time, especially because regeneration is a spiritual work that we cannot perceive with our eyes or even understand with our, our minds. So what Grudem is saying here is like, yeah, yes, so regeneration, that stirring in our hearts. See, we always talk about the, the, 
You know, we want the affections of Jesus to be stirred. That stirring, it happens before we respond in conversion. But it's so close together that for us, it's hard to tell the difference right there. So no one, Jesus says, John 6, 44, I mean, you know, I mean, I, I, listen, you know, I don't want to, I, I, I don't want to run down other preachers or anything like this or say, you know, we do it better than anybody else. But see, here's the, here's the situation. When you go verse, when you say, okay, we're just going to go verse by verse by verse by verse, then you, you have to, if you're going to be faithful to the text, then, you, you know, if you got some theology that's wrong, you're going to run into some problems. I never forget years ago, I was going to a pastor's meeting, pastor's breakfast, and the, one of the pastors sent his youth director down there, and the youth director, we're taking prayer requests, and the youth director said, oh, y'all, y'all pray for my pastor. He's really nervous because he'd been pastoring for like 10, 15 years. He said, because he's going to start preaching verse by verse for the first time, and he is really scared. And I thought, okay, so what's there to be scared of about going verse by verse? Well, the thing is, is that if I got some theology that's off, if I'm going to go verse by verse, man, I'm going to hit some stuff that I'm going to have to jump through some theological hoops to make it through. And I mean, it's just not going to be right, you know? So why do we go verse by verse? Because we want to face the hard stuff. We want to face the uncomfortable stuff. And we want to know what the whole Bible says, not just what I want to preach, just what makes me feel good and what's going to make the church get bigger or whatever. I'm not saying the people that, that don't that don't do I don't say they no, no, that's not what they're doing. So get me wrong, please. So no one can come. Jesus says, unless the Father who sent me. Listen, there's that there's that drawing right there. I mean, so you know, there, there's so many layers when we're, we're saying, God, stir our affections for Jesus. There's so many layers involved in that prayer. It's such a rich prayer. See, some see regeneration in terms of the total life change that results from conversion. This is the way I used to see it. That's what I studied systematic theology. That helped me. I thought, okay, yeah, that's it. The, it's the total life change, the transformation. But see, look at this. If we are to use language that closely conforms to the actual wording of Scripture, it would be better to restrict the word regeneration to the instantaneous initial work of God in which he imparts spiritual life to us. Okay, so... We've got to kind of draw a line between regeneration and conversion. It'll help us so much in this. Because what we're praying for, and we're praying for conversion, but you know, technically what we're praying for is we're praying for the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. When people come to church, when you want to talk to them, that's really what we're praying for. We're, God, when we say stir in their heart, you hear me say that all the time? Well, we're praying for regeneration to happen. So we're still on that we play no active role in regeneration, a God-fearing woman, Acts chapter 16, Paul's preaching, a God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, was listening. The Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. Just getting that system right there, we're looking at it. Okay, so genuine regeneration must bring results in life, okay? So 1 John 3, 9, so what we're talking about there is that it doesn't just stop, okay, at, at conversion. Regeneration is going to keep on going. So here's what he says. Those who have been born, in, well, this is such a tough verse to translate. I'll show you a little bit of it, but we could, I could spend a whole too much time on that. Anyway, those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice. This is New Living Translation. Man, I know some, some people in church, they hate New Living Translation, but it actually does the best 
is actually does the best in translating this difficult verse. And it's interesting because New Living Translation, man, there's some preachers that are like, they want an English Standard Version or whatever that's closest to the text. And there's some places where New Living Translation is just closest to the text, especially the difficult ones. These difficult verses that you can't just get word by word because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning. So you look at just about any other, a technical version is going to say they can't sin. Let me show you what the problem is with saying they can't sin. Let me ask you something. You that are in Christ Jesus, can you sin? Okay, so there's a problem there. So like, so how do I understand that when the, when the text says they can't sin? Well, see, that's, that's what I'm saying. It's like you've got you, you to gotta loosen this up a little bit to understand what the true meaning is. So let me just show you right here. So this right here, so epos, everyone. So this, this long word right here, this is about being born of, okay? Born from God. Now, now here, here's, the, here's the two, here's the Greek word for sin, armatar, armaton right here. So this is, so, you know, going to get a little bit technical right here, but I know that you guys can handle it because y'all are the smart ones that came tonight or watching online. So here we go. So this right here is a noun, active, singular, feminine, and this one down here is a verb. It's a verb form of the same word, present, active. So you see the same thing right here, the active so when it's in the active voice, that's why this is important. And the active voice means it's continually going on. Okay? So what he's saying is, is that, well, yeah, I can commit a sin, but if I'm in Christ Jesus, I'm not going to live in that sin. Does that make sense? I'm not going to be comfortable just staying there in sin. So that, that's why, the, you know, this looser New Living Translation not making a practice of sin. That's great. Can't keep on sinning. When he just says can't sin, I'm like, wait a second. I can sin. <laughs> What's the Am I lost? No, it's not that I'm lost. It's just that, man, to get down the technicalities of this right here, that means you can't just stay right there and live in that and keep on and be okay. So, what does a person say, you know, how do I know if I'm saved? Well, here's, how I, here's, here's one of the indications I know when I'm saved is that whenever I sin, I feel strong conviction. The Holy Spirit's conviction is so strong in my heart that I'm going to have to repent because I can't stand staying in that. So another effect of the new birth is overcoming the world, man. James, James, we should, we should go from James to 1 John to Sermon on the Mount. The time we got through the Sermon on the Mount, well, we'd, all, we'd be down to about five people in church, I think. Well, I mean, that's just, that is rough going right there. So 1 John 5, 4, here's what he says. Because everyone who has been born of God, he loves using that, that language right there, born of God, born from above, conquers the world. Now, so we, we know that cosmos, the world they use, right, the, the Greek word they use right here, but what he's talking about is the pressure and the temptations that keep us from obeying God. So everyone who's been born of God, born again, regeneration, Listen, they have, they have, now they have the, this is this, this is the victory that has conquered the world. Now, where does that faith originate? See, that's what we're looking at tonight, that faith. Where does that faith come from? So, you heard me say this lots of times when I'm preaching, just trying to keep it real general, not get real technical with it. If it's not, you heard me say this. Except for God, we don't have any faith. Now, it's our choice to activate that faith. And that's what we're talking about when we look at the technical, get down the technicalities, get really technical with it. You say regeneration, conversion, and then even as we go on down from there, get justification, but even past justification, sanctification, all of it weaves together. 
And I better hurry if I'm even going to get us to sanctification in a couple of weeks. Another result of regeneration is protection from Satan himself. 1 John 5, 18 through 19. We know that God's children do not make a practice. Once again, he's helping us with that, with that active voice. Does not make a practice of sinning. For God's son holds them securely, and the evil one cannot touch them. We know that we are children of God and that the world, so I'm going to give you a look, I'm going to show you this in Greek. The world around us is under the control of the evil one. Now, here's what you get. This is the special thing we get as we're trying to understand that 161 times in the New Testament where it talks about being in Christ Jesus. There's layers and layers and layers of this. Here's one of the layers that we get tonight from studying this text. So listen to this. Here is the literal Greek translation of this, Kai, and Kaha Cosmos, and the world. All of, now, that right there, that's, that's the whole world right there. I'm sorry I got, got kicked out right there. Look at this. Here, here's where it gets really interesting right here. This is in in Greek, and it, you know, it's just like our in in English, I in in English. In Tau Poneroi, right here, in the evil one. And then right here, katea remains. It's like existent, is existing. Are you, are you tracking me now? So if we're going to take this, we're just going to say a literal translation right here. And the whole world is in the evil one existing. In, so say now, you're in Christ Jesus, in the evil one. The whole world is in the evil one. It's existing like that. You see, there's something more in their culture and their time about being in something that we don't use today in our culture and our time. See, what I talk about it all the time. I'm trying to help us understand that being in something means I'm, be, we understand it better as being under its authority and its power. So that's what he's saying right here. So that's why the translators put the whole world as under the control of the evil, the sway. We looked at that. That's the text we looked at last time, under the sway. So it's all, there's an influence right there, okay? You are from God, little children, and you have conquered them because the one who is in you, there's that, there's that, maybe that's that language again, the one that's in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So the one who, you're under his authority, and that's greater than the one who has authority over this world. So another result of regeneration is production of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So let's move on to conversion. Man, I am on time. We are doing good. Conversion. So faith and repentance. What is true repentance? What is saving faith? And can people accept Jesus as Savior and not as Lord? So we're about to mess up some preaching some of y'all have heard growing up in church as we study this. So conversion, here's what Grudem's definition of conversion is. is our willing response to the gospel call. So we just talked about that gospel call. Is our willing response to gospel call in which we sincerely repent of sin and place our trust, key word, in Christ for salvation. So the word conversion itself means turning. Now, you know, you think about what's another word we think about repenting. We always use that for turning, right? So the word conversion itself means turning. Here it represents a spiritual turn, a turn from sin to Christ. And see, the Bible, the biblical writers, when they talk about, you know, turning to Christ and turning from sin, 
they understand that that's one and the same thing. So many times they don't just, just put all the words out there that you're, okay, now you're going to turn from sin to Christ. I mean, they just be like, okay, you're turning to Christ. Well, everybody knows you're going to be turning from sin. It's just kind of, you know, so they don't word it out that way every single time. So true saving faith includes three things, knowledge, approval, and personal trust. These three things right here are key. I mean, if you're gonna, so once again, if you talk with somebody, go, do I really know if I'm saved? Okay, so these are three things right here that we would need to help walk them through. Knowledge, who Jesus is, what he's done for us, uh, uh, the, the approval of that, that, I do believe that his death, burial, and resurrection, that he is alive, that he is, that he is alive today, and that all of the things the Bible says that he has done in salvation is there. And then personal trust. Now, see, we always talk about believing in Jesus, okay? Now, our problem with that terminology today is that we can believe something without trusting it. We can believe something's true. But I mean, I, I can go, if you say, okay, you're going to take me to a doctor and say, and look, David, there's the certification on the wall. Do you believe he's a doctor? Yes. Now, will you lay down and let him cut you open? No. You know, that's, when I lay down and I let him cut me open, that's me trusting him as a doctor. You see what I'm saying? I'm not believing anymore. I'm trusting now. So for us to use terminology about trusting Christ, it's a little different than using terminology about believing in Christ. So Romans 1, 32, they know. So, man, you go back. We, don't have, we didn't have time to put all this text in there. But just, you know, Romans chapter 1 talks about the people that are just wicked. I mean, it's like Romans chapter 1, and then they have just, they've turned over to, a, you know, the King James Version is like a reprobate, <laughs> the reprobate heart, you know. I mean, they are just, uh, Paul goes down through a list of like some of the most terrible sins that people can commit. And then he says, now this is the end, pretty much close to the end of Romans chapter 1. He says, they know God's justice requires that those who do these, these sins he just got through listing, deserve to die. Yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. So what Paul's saying right here is that knowledge isn't changing their behavior. They know, but it doesn't change anything inside of them. So, you know, what my argument to that would be is that the re regenerative work of the Holy Spirit is not working in them, that they're operating in what we would call the flesh. And that flesh is connected to the world, connected to the devil, and that's why they can do all that and be at peace and then try to lead other people to do the same things. So, James chapter 2 Verse 19, I could just step aside, hand probably all of y'all this clicker, and y'all could explain this verse because we just got through studying it here a few months ago, I think. You believe that God is one. Good. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. doesn't say they repent. So knowledge alone is not what we're looking for. We're not looking for an intellectual assent. That doesn't save a person. We're looking for a spiritual transformation and apart from the regenerative work, the Holy Spirit stirring isn't going to happen. This, so, knowledge and approval are not enough. This, you know, back to our discussion with you know, Nicodemus, John chapter 3, the first part of that, so much thick, rich theology in that. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know, so, you know, I believe Nicodemus, was born again by the time it was all said and done. That's just my personal opinion, okay? But the, the, when he says, we know, we all have knowledge. I'm with the Sanhedrin right here, all the religious leaders that he's on board with. He said, we know that you are a teacher who has 
come from God. No one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. But that knowledge, did it, did, what, what, did it, what did they do? What did the rest of the guys that Nicodemus was on board with, what did they do ultimately to Jesus? Yeah, they had him crucified. So Grudem says, saving faith is trust in Jesus Christ as a living person. So important, too. You know, I mean, I think that, you know, especially as we talk with, with um, children and, and even like teenagers, is that, you know, we've got to understand this. This is a difference between seeing him as a historical figure, which he was, but and understanding that he is alive. And well, I mean, there's the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension. All those are very, those are vital. I mean, like, so like he physically rose from the grave. That is the foundation of our faith. I mean, you can't be a Christian without that. You can't be, a, I mean, I can't be a Christian. If you're going to deny that, that's, we, we, say, we, we say that's not even a Christian church if they deny that. So that he is a living person for forgiveness of sins and for eternal life with God. So I'm still on that knowledge and approval is not enough. Paul's trying to present the God. He's not trying to. He's, he's effectively presenting. I mean, who could have present the gospel better than Apostle Paul? I mean, probably no one in history has ever been able to be more effective at it than him. King Agrippa's listening to his, I mean, day after day, persuading him. And look at this. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets I know you believe what Paul says to him. Agrippa said to Paul, are you going to try to persuade me to become a Christian so easily? Are you going to try to, that intellectual ascent, you're going to try to talk me into it? Well, see, here's what I know. I know that if someone's talked into it, then somebody else can talk them out of it. And, that's something, and, and the enemy is always going to make sure there's somebody going to be sent along to talk them out of it that's a whole lot more effective at doing that than I was at talking them into it. So I must decide to depend on Jesus to save me personally. So you may, you may notice that when I'm leading that prayer at the end of church services, um, I rarely, if ever, will say and accept Jesus as my Savior. I rarely, rarely use that terminology, even though that's, I'm not saying that's wrong. You know, we've done that throughout, that's hmm, what, 200 years in church history. I don't know. But we've used that terminology to accept him as my Savior you know, and what, we're, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to lead people to understand that this prayer does not save them. Saying it now, it's, it's important that at that moment in time that they think, okay, yeah, okay, some of you could probably go back and say, this was a moment that I accepted Jesus as my Savior. And then some of you are like, no, I don't really know. As long as I remember, I was always believing in God. I did say that prayer, but I don't think I say before that prayer. I would say, yeah, you probably were saved before that prayer. So, what we're wanting is we're not wanting to, and, and okay, so my point is I'm not trying to get someone to accept Jesus as their Savior. I'm trying to get someone to come under the authority rule of Jesus. You see, because, see, here's our problem. Here's, here's where there's a little bit of rebellion in me, is that we have focused real hard on getting people to accept Jesus as their Savior, and then we leave them right there. And they get worn out by the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, see, listen, there's, it, you, some of you guys, you know me well enough to know this. I get lit up over seeing people get set free, growing in their faith. 
Man, what I mean, they're saved, but man, they get set free from some stuff, and they get, that lights me up more than leading people to Jesus. Now, I'm not saying leading people to Jesus isn't important. Some, there's other people that they're evangelists, that, that excites them. And I mean, I, I get a little excited about that, too. I'm not saying that's like, but I'm saying that for me, man, I mean, that's, when you hear me preach, that's, you should be able to see that. My, my, what's in my heart is for the person who walks in here who is under a load of junk. They've already, listen, they're in Christ, but they're under a load of junk, and they're getting worn out to say, listen, you know, here it is. This is what the scripture, the text lays out. You can be free. You can be free indeed. You can live in freedom. You can live in joy. That's why I get excited about it. Can you tell? I mean, listen, look what happens to my voice. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. This is the same author of 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. Children of God, to those who believe in him. He's always, man, John, that born of God, children of God. John is, and, and you know, more than likely, John was the youngest of the disciples, the apostles. I mean, there are is, there is some really good arguments out there that, that John could have been like 12, 10 years old whenever Jesus called him. And Peter might have been 18, 19, 20, 21, around in that area. Really good arguments in that. So when you, when you look, I don't want to waste a bunch of time right here, but just pay attention to the story. Listen to how... John got this special treatment. It makes sense that he, would have been, he could have been a little boy, the way Jesus talked to him and how he loved him and all that. So anyway, just it's like we don't know. It never says their age, but, man, that's some convincing arguments right there. Man, and, and even reading John about being born of God, children of God and all that, man, it's just real rich in his writing. So I'm still in that I, I must decide to depend on Jesus to save me personally, John 3, 16. Okay, so. Let's look at a very important Greek interpretation, a part of this. For God loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes, pisteo es aton, will not perish but have eternal life. Now, instead of me explaining what this means, I'll let you read more Greek the technical from Grudem right here. He says, the Greek phrase, pisteo es aton, could also be translated believe into. So ace right here, that's into, believe into him. So why would it be important, believe into him? Well, look at what he says. With a sense of trust or confidence that goes into and rests in Jesus as a person. Such an expression was rare or perhaps non-existent in the secular Greek found outside the New Testament, but it was well suited to express the personal trust in Christ that is involved in saving faith. So, I mean, here's, here's what happens to us, guys. I mean, just really, so the King James Version has a huge influence on all the other versions coming after it, because if all the other versions said saved into, if they, if they really translated that, that ace as into, do you, it would get burnt off the shelf. Because everybody knows John 3, 16. I mean, man, our, our world today would have a fit. What, do you, what does that mean, Jeep? Believe into Jesus. Man, that's, you know, that's, they're adding words to the Bible. That's what always happens every time that they get to a literal translation. And people are like, they're adding or they're taking away from the text. And they get all mad and say, man, this is of the devil. Well, that's, to me, that's even richer. Yeah, into Christ Jesus. Ephesians 4, 13. So should faith increase as our knowledge increases? Well, Ephesians 4, 13. Matter of fact, a few verses. Go, go, study, go study Ephesians 4. See what you think. Just one verse out of it. 
This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge. So why do we study the Bible? We're studying the Bible to learn and grow in our knowledge. And that when we, as we grow and learn in that knowledge, we're growing in our faith. And so as we have faith and knowledge of God's Son, that we will be mature. Do you like hanging around with immature people? I mean, is that what you're looking for in your friends? i got to go find some immature people <laughs> of God's sons that will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standards of Christ. I don't know about you, but I want to go to a church that has mature Christians, that has mature Christians, mature Christian leadership. I want to I wanna go somewhere where I know, the man, when I go there, there's some solid people that are going to have, and they may not have the answers, but they can lead me to where the right answers are. So repentance. I think it's, you know, once again, we misunderstand repentance so much. I mean, like, I, I, well, I'll say I misunderstood it for most of my teenage and young adult lives. Repentance is a heartfelt sorrow for sin, a renouncing of it, and a sincere commitment to forsake it and walk in obedience to Christ. So when I first, so, um, when I was taught 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Y'all heard me preach about this before, probably. Man, I, I, I had the key now. I could go sin all I wanted to. All I had to do is just confess. I just confess my sin. If you confess your sins, he's faith, he'll do it every single time. He's just, and to forget, he's, he died on the cross. So I didn't worry about it. I was like, oh, wow, man, here we go. I got the, if you don't know me, I love formulas. Okay, I got the formula. This is what works, you know. And so I just go out and wouldn't worry about it. I would just sin, and I just confess my sin, and lived in defeat. The devil had me right where, and the devil had me misinterpreting this, this verse and living in sin. And, and when you, listen, when you choose to sin, you choose, I mean, all that stuff, I was suffering. And I was taught that by a reputable Bible teacher. So it's a sincere commitment to, see, when I learned that for me to actually repent means that I am going to do everything I can to, to, by the power of the Holy Spirit working in me, to get away from that, to make that choice, and to live under that power and authority. And then I started experiencing freedom, freedom to where it no longer ruled me. I mean, listen, you understand something, guys? I mean, this was 200-something people here yesterday probably. How many of those people do you think that are in Christ Jesus that are being ruled by sin, that are living in misery? You know? I mean, they're just, they're thinking that, you know, I'm just saved and just, man, I'm just trying to get through this life. See, and that's what I'm talking about, about getting set free. That's why I get so excited about that, because I lived under sin's rule as a Christian for years and years, and I lived in misery, and I did not know what was wrong with me. So faith and repentance must come together. Acts 20, 21. I've had one message for the Jews and the Greeks alike. The necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God. See, that's where Paul puts them together. Repenting from sin and turning to God and of having faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's saying, man, these things have all got to be working together, okay? When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. And this is another key right here. Learning that, that 
Repentance is a gift from God. So, see, I had to learn that it wasn't about my willpower. It wasn't about me being strong enough to, to resist. I had to learn that repentance is a gift of God and say, in my prayers, God, okay, I confess the sin. I ask you to forgive me the sin. Now grant me repentance from the sin. See, I'm asking him to do that work of repentance in me. He, the Holy Spirit in me, is what's going to grant that. It's going to empower that. That's more that regenerative work of the Holy Spirit working in us. I now rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because your grief led to repentance, for you were grieved as God willed. <laughs> you see that? God, I mean, there, we're going right back into our sermon yesterday morning, by the way, so that you didn't experience any loss from us. So it's good to grieve over our sins, and we even read this yesterday, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to soteria, salvation without regret but worldly grief produces death hebrews 12 16 17 make sure no one is no one is immoral or godless like esau who traded his birthright as a firstborn son for a single meal you know that afterwards when he wanted his father's blessing oh my how many people today Sin is ruling them, and they're wanting God's blessings. He wanted God's blessings. He was rejected. It was too late for repentance, even though he begged with bitter tears. And he wanted God. He's like, that's his dad. You know, please change your mind. Give me the blessing. And his dad's like, I've already given your brother the blessing. I can't undo that. You know, this, is a, he got, this is all I got left and gave him, you know, just all the blessing he could have left there. So, I mean, man, listen, Hebrews, New Testament. New Testament theology is trying to help us understand something here. Is that, listen, you know, so many people want to live in God's favor and live in the blessings and all that, and you hear me argue against that all the time, but here's what you have to understand, is that whenever I'm living under the dominion rule, then I'm living in the blessings and the favor of God. I'm getting that thing that, like, you know, Joel Osteen and all them are trying to sell. It's already there. It's free. You know, nobody else, you know, it's not about me being good or anything. It's just about me being, me practicing my position in Christ Jesus, okay? So when, whenever, I, whenever I look at this right here, I'm saying, listen, when I am re, you know, just actively repenting of my sins, then there's, listen, there's, what does sin do? It separates me from God. It doesn't, it doesn't lose my salvation over it. But there's a, there's a separation, that, that intimate relationship, man, that, that, that communication, that leading, that guiding, that directing, that joy, that peace, that love, that's all getting squelched out of me. And so the flesh is rising up, that stress, that anxiety, that worry, that anger, that frustration, whatever it may be. See, that's what, man, that's what the flesh is going to stir up inside of me. So... Why do I want to live in repentance? Why do I want to live under the dominion rule? Because I want to live in the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I've never went to God and said, God, I got too much to prove the Holy Spirit. I've never done that. Scripture puts repentance and faith together as different aspects of one act of coming to Christ for salvation. It is not that a person first turns from sin and next trusts in Christ, 
or first trusts in Christ and then turns from sin, but rather that both occur at the same time. When we turn to Christ for salvation from our sins, we are simultaneously turning away from the sins that we are asking Christ to save us from. If that were not true, our turning to Christ for salvation from sin could hardly be genuine turning to him or trusting in him. And that, man, Grudem hit the nail on the head. That has been our problem. When we just try to get people saved, when that, is, when that is all we're doing, just get them to say that prayer and get them in that baptistry. When that is, when, whenever there is no discipleship, so those five teenage girls that made a profession of faith last Wednesday night, well, I didn't even get home, and I had already ordered, already ordered five books, about a, five books about, no, seven books on the five assurances of salvation, and someone will take them through understanding what it means to be saved, what it means to pray, what it means to be in the body of Christ, they will have a basic understanding before they're ever baptized. So, you know, here's one thing that I truly believe in, and we do this by and large. We rejoice, we celebrate when they're saved to a degree, but we really celebrate when they're baptized. And I mean, that's when we yell and we holler and we clap our hands and we say, yay, Jesus, when we see them baptized. We rejoice over all of it, but that's why that rejoicing is even that much more sweeter. So it's also contrary to the New Testament to speak about the possibility of someone accepting Christ as Savior, but not as Lord. If that means simply depending on him for salvation, but not committing oneself to forsake sin and to be obedient to Christ from that point on. So here's Here's what I was talking about. I was going to mess with some of that preaching we heard growing up. Is that I heard this priest over and over and over again. Well, you that are saved, who's your problem? That, that why you're living in so much of a problem is you just you don't need to accept Jesus only as your Savior, but you also need to accept, um, accept Him as your Lord. Like there's something even greater. Like He's your Savior, but you need to get His Lord. That, that's even that's a step further right there. So there isn't any text in the Bible that explicitly says that. And you just Show me the verse where it says you need to accept him as your savior and then after a little while you need to take it a step further and accept him as your Lord. Now it says savior and Lord because that means those are the same thing. Savior and Lord. Look at what Jesus says. Then Jesus said to them, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily. That means die to myself and follow me. But then just like halfway, Jesus didn't say, okay, just believe in me and just, you know, I'll see you later and don't worry about anything. He said, no, you got to die to yourself, take up your cross, you got to crucify your flesh, and then come follow me. For whoever wants to save his life, that is the American dream right there, man. He says, he's just stomping all over that. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me, oh, now he will save it. He will find out what real life is all about. So does that, so, you know, you might hear somebody say, I believe in lordship salvation. And what they're saying is, is that they're, they're what, what that terminology means is, they're saying that I believe that whenever you are going to have Jesus as your savior, that means you're going to have him as your Lord. There's not savior, and you're going to do what you want to do. I'm just going to get in the backside of heaven, live in that shack, and I'm just saying it's all that matters. No, He's your Lord. That means he, he's your ruler. He rules over your life. You're under 
his kingdom authority. So he also said to them, this is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead in the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. Acts 2, 37, 38. When they heard this, they were pierced to their hearts, and they said to Peter and the rest of the brothers, what should we do? Man, that, that Holy Spirit was convicting. Peter said, repent, be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, so Peter started off with, man, you got to be in that repentance if you're going to be saved. So when people come, they talk about you know, salvation. we got to understand that repentance is at the heart of salvation. I can't continue what I've been doing. I mean, like, if I get to the point I'm saying, yeah, I want to be saved, I want to go to heaven, but I want to continue in this sin. What? Man, okay, you don't really want to be saved. It's not real. It's not, the, it's not the convicting of the Holy Spirit happening right there. You're just wanting to get the Jesus attitude. You're just wanting to get the spare tire religion. You know what I mean? Just kind of help you out when you're in a tie spot. That isn't what it's about. So I've got to be continually living with faith and repentance. So it isn't just something that happens one time. Faith and repentance is something that carries on throughout the rest of our life. And this is where we will end tonight. Therefore, although it is true that initial saving faith and initial repentance occur only once in our lives, and when they occur, they constitute true conversion. Nonetheless, the heart attitudes of repentance and faith only begin at conversion. The same attitudes should continue throughout the course of our Christian lives. Each day, there should be a heartfelt repentance for sins that we have committed and faith in Christ to provide for our needs and to empower us to live the Christian life. I agree with him 100% on that one right there. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to close in a word of prayer. We're going to go off the live stream. And for those of you that, uh, that want to have a question and answer, want to just have us a question and answer time, you're free to go anytime you want to go. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. So God, we thank you tonight for the privilege of studying your word. And God, our, we thank you tonight that you chose us before the foundations of the world. God, we thank you that you gave us faith, that you gave us, that your Holy Spirit was regenerating and working in us, and it still is today. And God, we thank you that we we were learning all these layers of what it means to be in Christ Jesus, to be under his authority rule, the freedom that we have and that we live in there. And so God, we pray that we pray for our staff, we pray for our volunteers, all of our leaders, especially that are, that are, that are helping people um, that are wanting to come to Christ and salvation. We pray for them, God, that they will learn the true theology of salvation. And they'll be, they'll be confident in that when they're talking with people that are struggling over whether or not they are saved or not. And so, God, we just pray that you help all of us here tonight and all of us online that have listened and learned from this. God, help us to apply it to our hearts and our lives and to live grateful for your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.